Do babies have a natural instinct to sleep? Getting a better understanding of what my partner needed and what my children really needed, that's made a huge difference. Yes, yeah. otherwise I can get a little bit overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, I think lots of parents can relate to yeah. that. You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt. In June this year, a report was released called When Helping Hurts PTSD in First Responders. It aimed to address post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, in those working in the emergency services, our police, fireys and ambulance drivers. The rate of Australians living with or who have family affected by PTSD is between three to four million. These are the people who are looking after us when we are at our most vulnerable. And yet that very help is what can also cause PTSD. Brian O'Toole is the director of the Vietnam Veterans Family Health Study at the Brain and Mind Centre in Sydney. He studied the impact of PTSD in families. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm very well. What is PTSD? Ah, PTSD is a condition that happens to all humans. It can be described by saying when you encounter a really, really traumatic experience, I don't mean like the trauma of, of failing an exam or the, or the trauma of not getting a parking spot in time. <laughs> it was described to me by Professor Beverly Raphael as having death in your face. And so what happens is it's a normal human reaction. The problem with PTSD is, if I can give you an analogy, you know when you touch a sea anemone, it goes in on itself. And that's the sort of thing that happens with PTSD. It's got a number of features which are diagnostic. The first one is that there is a re-experiencing of the phenomenon. It's intrusive. It's not just memories, because the brain is very good. It doesn't let people forget. But it's intrusive memories, so that without wanting to, you actually can re-experience the event itself. It can be brought on by the, a smell a sound, a blade of grass. It can be all sorts of those sorts of cues. And when it happens, there can be what's called dissociative phenomena. And I'll give you an example of a veteran. Now, you can imagine this lovely situation on a Sunday afternoon, a child's birthday party. They've got their friends, the kids from the football team, they've got the neighbours, and everybody's having a great time. And suddenly Dad comes running in from the garden with a rock in his hand saying, they're after me, they're after me, and pushes everything away, knocks over tables and dives under the bed. Now, that what he was doing was having a, a traumatic reaction. He's got a rock in his hand, the grenade, or something like that. And uh, you can imagine how disruptive that would be in the, on the family itself. The second thing that happens is a depression. It's, PTSD is well known now to be accompanied by depression, depressive illnesses. And you know what effect depression has. Think if you see an enemy going in, you don't interact as well. The next thing that happens is a thing of numbing avoidance, where emotions are numbed off, where it's very difficult to have loving interactions with people. It is very difficult to maintain social relationships and particularly affectionate close relationships and you can imagine what effect this has on children and wives if it's a male who's affected. The fourth component of it is a hyper-reactivity, a hyper-reaction. So these people are jumpy, they're easily startled and they can also be very angry and sometimes you can find with families they say they're walking on eggshells the whole time, don't upset dad because dad's in his emotional state 
and he is likely to lash out. And so you can get domestic violence happening as a result of that. So in a nutshell, that's what happens. Now, the thing is, you can have a PTSD and not have it affect your life. You can have the re-experiencing in a, in a very mild way. You can have the emotional reactions in a mild way. And you can have the hyperactivity in a mild way. And if it doesn't interfere with your life, with your relationships, with your career, with your economic potential or any of those things, then in fact you live with a PTSD but it doesn't get in your way. Now that does happen. In about half the cases that I know of, that has happened. And the PTSD itself will remit over a period of time. I don't want to generalise here, but I will. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. a general assumption that men aren't very good at asking for help, and particularly when it comes to their mental health. I'm wondering if there is a stigma attached to PTSD within the armed forces that you know of, or perhaps in other industries. Absolutely. Where Oh, absolutely. A PTSD can occur, of course, as you mentioned, in the police and in the fireys, in the ambos, and the, particularly in the armed forces. And it can be career limiting because we know that in the military, if you have a PTSD, you're not going to be uh, an able and fit operative. And the same thing happens with the police. And you can sit on this for years and years and years until finally it gets in your way. You just can't go into the office one day. You can't go into the factory. You you just can't do what you're doing. So is that one of the reasons, I mean, there's the stigma of worrying about what people will think of you and then there's the fear that you'll lose your job. They seem like pretty big reasons why people may not ask for help. That's right. That's right. One of the biggest problems, of course, in the, in the uh, emergency services and in the, uh, the armed forces is that they don't ask for help. In fact, it's interesting that the military has dropped the D word. That's because okay. they're trying to, to get the idea across that it's post-traumatic stress, which is, in fact, a normal human reaction to an absolutely abnormal, life-threatening event. And as I said, you can go on with it for a long time, but if it gets in your way, particularly if you're repeatedly exposed, if you're repeatedly in, involved in, in these things, like the police do. I mean, they see the, the lowest and the, the dirtiest side of humans all the time, and they do it over and over and over again. And if a PTSD develops, then it can absolutely interfere with, with their own emotional functioning and, and certainly their own work. So there are two things. The first of all is whether the individual himself can cope and the second is whether the workers or the, the workplace environment can trust them to cope. So there are two issues there. And, and some Israeli work is suggesting that, that um, PTSD in... Uh, they've looked at, at uh, prisoners of war, the Yom, Yom Kippur War, and uh, they, they suggest that, in fact, it is the primary victim's coping which is the major toxic uh, influence on the kids. I'm not sure that that's true, but certainly there is an issue of coping. How do you mean there's an issue with coping? The way, how they decide to manage their symptoms? That's is right. That... That's right. They're unable to cope. Okay. Unable to cope. That's exactly right. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Brian O'Toole. He's the director of the Vietnam Veterans Family Health Study at the Brain and Mind Centre in Sydney. And we're talking about PTSD and how um, we're getting to how it might affect families. And Brian's just been describing what it's like and how it can affect people. Um, 
you have looked at uh, Vietnam vets in particular in their family environment. How can it affect the way a father behaves in that family unit? That's a difficult question because these things are so individual. Mm-hmm. If, if you take the, the, uh, the numbing, the CNME analogy again, that they're not available emotionally for their kids. And in fact, that has, I think, and, and, and certainly our work at the university is showing that, that um, the effect on attachment, the child's attachment to the father, is absolutely impaired. And the emotional environment of the household is, how can I put it, suboptimal. So that um, when a kid is raised in this in this environment, then in fact they're remote, perhaps angry, perhaps anxious and depressed parent. They can't get through to them. Now the interesting thing about this is we're talking about the armed services and the police and the ambers and what have you. Females... Women are more susceptible to PTSD than men. The prevalence of PTSD in women is higher than in men. So when a mother is affected, this can have dramatically increased effects in the family. When you were saying there, the mother, if the mother's in the armed forces or the emergency services, services and she's got PTSD, it might be more destabling than if the father had PTSD. It may be. And... Again, I don't know. Do we know about the figures when it comes to men and women in these particular areas? I would assume that it is male-dominated in particularly the army, but in the emergency services as well. Sure. But if you talk about the Australian population, I mean everybody, then we, we know certain things. Like, for example, anxiety disorder is the disorder that females have. Substance use disorder is the disorder that males have because they're more prevalent in, the, in those groups. We know also that PTSD is more prevalent in, in females and it, it can get, depending upon which subgroup you're looking at, up to 18 or 20% of people. So certainly in the military we found about 20% of people would be affected by PTSD. More necessarily, as I said, the females are more susceptible, but when there are a whole lot more blokes involved, of course the figures, will, the figures will apply equally to them. About 20% of people who are exposed to the gritty, nasty events will satisfy a diagnosis of PTSD, yep. to put it in, in technical terms. And so if we get back to the family unit and a parent may have PTSD, you've explained what the environment can be like, and obviously that's not great for kids. No. Does it lead to further problems for them later in life, for children? Well, I can, I can answer it this way. We have recently published a paper that shows that PTSD in a male parent increases the risk of PTSD in the child. They call it intergenerational transmission. And this has been discovered also in Israel with Holocaust survivors and in New York with Holocaust survivors and certainly with our work in uh, with the Vietnam veterans in Australia. Now, that said, it has been firmly now established using a variety of different methods and a different uh, procedures that all point in the same direction, that there is this phenomenon called intergenerational transmission of PTSD. You said some of the effects of PTSD, or if you look at it and how it affects people, that might include um, depression, anxiety, on top of other things like um, having intrusive thoughts, that sort of thing. Are children of adults who have PTSD more likely to suffer from 
just depression, just anxiety? I mean, when I say just, I mean separate to the whole experience of PTSD? No, interestingly enough, in in our work with the veterans, um, PTSD is very specific. Now, we know that, for example, alcoholic parents don't necessarily have alcoholic kids. Depressed parents don't necessarily have depressed kids. Anxious parents don't necessarily have anxious kids. But with PTSD, there doesn't seem to be any other except depression because that's comorbid with PTSD. In other words, it occurs concurrently with PTSD, possibly as a result of it, but we don't know definitively that yet. But um, it is possible that these comorbidities can add up in a child's life. The difficulty with families, I think, is is coping. We, We know that anecdotally from the Second World War, for example, people just got used to the fact that the old man cried out in the middle of the night, had nightmares, and you had to be very careful with him around various times like Anzac Day or Remembrance Days or any of those sorts of things. And certainly the same sort of thing would occur with uh, the people in the what the Americans now and we are now starting to call the first responders, ambos, fireys and, uh, and police. So, yeah, it's, it's bloody difficult to, uh, to, to actually make a, a definitive set of statements on all of these issues. We are still in the early stages of, uh, of gathering knowledge. How easily is PTSD treated? Not easily. Um, there are some people who suggest that it's what's called treatment-resistant. There are other people who think that some cognitive behaviour therapy uh, and some antidepressants might in fact do the trick. The hardest symptoms to shift are the re-experiencing symptoms, purely because the brain's too good. It won't let you forget. It just won't let you forget. But part of the treatment is aimed at breaking the connection between the re-experiencing and the emotion, so that a lot of early work revolved around what they called desensitization. So, you know, for example, you want to cure people who are afraid of spiders. Then you have a picture of a spider, then closely, then you bring it closer and closer, and then you give them a real spider, which, and then you give them a much bigger spider. Sounds terrible. And, and that's, that sort of thing. <laughs> and that kind of desensitizes. And there is that sort of treatment which is, which is around too. There's cognitive behavioral therapy. There is eye movement desensitization therapy, which some people suggest, in fact, breaks the attention on the particular traumatic experience that's being remembered or being recalled or being re-experienced. There are a number of different treatments. Antidepressants are a a frontline treatment, but again, that is only treating the depression part of it. It's not treating the other part of it. It's not treating the hyper-reactivity, the fact that the old man gets off and gets very cranky, or in the military and in the police becomes a stickler for the rules. Uh, will not cope, rather, with any transgression of these rigidity and rule-based behaviours in the family. And that can be an enormous stressor for the kids too. Oh, definitely, because I don't know many kids that actually adhere to those rules. So let's say that you have a friend or a partner and you suspect that they may have PTSD because they've had those experiences. You've noticed that they might um, be hypersensitive or or responding the way you've just described. What can you do to help someone in that situation? Well, the first thing you can do is just hold them. Just be gentle with them and be understanding that they can't help it. It's not their fault. They may have chosen this particular profession, but they didn't choose to be traumatised. And that's the first thing that you need to do. 
The second is you have to have as much compassion as you possibly can and to be as gentle with them as you possibly can. Now, of course, that sometimes means you get cranky because you've got to walk on eggshells all the time when the old man's around or, or, you know, when mother's having one of her days. But it's, how can I put it, generosity of spirit? Is that the... Is that the most simple way to describe it? In many cases, you've got you to grin and bear it and put up with it, knowing that it's not, not their fault. How helpful would talking be in this situation? Very, very. Getting it all out. We, interestingly enough, when we started this work, you know, 30 years ago with the veterans, one of the things that they uh, reported was when they met together in groups, they thought, hang on, other people are having this too. Okay, I'm not the only one. I'm not alone in this. And the recognition that there are other people who are also in the same circumstances can be enormously helpful. Things like men's sheds, if you like, things like the support groups that are springing up and are around. Brian, at the beginning, you mentioned that, I think you said either the police force or the army were dropping the D at the end of PTSD so mm. to normalise the experience of yes. it. Is that approach working? Are we changing? Are the armed forces, are the first responders, are these um, places starting to change, are people starting to change their attitude towards post-traumatic stress? Or is there still a lot of stigma that needs to be shifted? Oh, well, the more we know about it, the more it can be understood that it's a normal human reaction. The D word comes in, interestingly, when it actually starts to get in your way, when you can't function, when you can't do the work. I'll mention the story of a... uh, of a young constable in Queensland. He was a young probationer, basically. And uh, some neighbours of an old fellow had rung up and said, no, we can't find old Jack. I haven't seen old Jack for for a little while. Can somebody come around and have a look? So, of course, the desk sergeant sent the young cop around and uh, couldn't get in downstairs. Noticed there was a window open upstairs and got a ladder and a bright Queensland sunshine on the outside. And he, as he got up, he put his foot through the window into the body cavity of the old man who had died several weeks before. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Now, this young copper was just, you know, what the Vietnam veterans were told. Put it behind your son. Yeah, it'll be all right. You'll be okay. Well, in fact, 30 years later, it was the cause of him actually having a breakdown because he just could not shift that. So in that 30-year period or 25-year period, he had actually functioned quite well, done his job, risen through the ranks and so on. But finally, it got the better of him. I began to ask the veterans when I spoke to them, basically the question, when did it get on top of you? And sometimes they can function for quite a while and do their job very well. But every time there might come a point where it just gets on top of them and they can't do it anymore. And that's when they need help. And unfortunately, the way the um, brawny, muscular people who, uh, because of the nature of the job, they don't cope with that at all. Mm. And uh, it, it can be very devastating, the effect. It may take years to occur. On the other hand, we're certainly finding work that, in, in our work, that of the, say, 40% or so Vietnam vets who had a PTSD diagnosis at some point, it got as high as that, That's about half of them could cope and it would be what we would call in remission. Gosh, it is very complex. Brian, thank you so much for coming in and speaking with us. It's a pleasure. That was Brian O'Toole. He's the Director of Vietnam Veterans Family Health Study at the Brain and Mind Research Centre in Sydney. 
You've been listening to Kindling Conversation. If you enjoyed it, there's plenty more where that came from. Find other stories and interviews at our website. Just head to kindling.com.au.